This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Thank you. There's something that I always find uh, humbling and eye-opening when you begin to realize that like, Jesus' church is huge, and it's so much bigger than just what I see and experience. Uh, and so I think it's just important that we know that. Especially as we step into the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series talking about who we are as a church and what our heartbeat is and what our vision and mission is as a church. And so I'm excited for the next few weeks as we share this. And so if you're fairly new and you're kind of curious, hey, what is New Life all about? This is a great few weeks to be checking things out. Or if you're coming back and you're like, hey, are we still around after the pandemic? Yes, we are. So again, this is a great few weeks to be checking things out. Because I know in my own journey, in my own story, I want to be a part of something big. I want to be a part of something that like, has adventure written all over it. It's why some of my favorite movies of all time are the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Do you remember these movies? Like just how incredible they were? Like, like of all time, I mean, they, they kind of got progressively worse. But, but the first one was phenomenal. Like, just seeing the stories of Elizabeth Swan and Jack Sparrow and Will Turner and just how they all came together and had to, like, fight and work and figure it out and fight with it. It was just, it was so much fun. And, and it kind of just inspired me. I remember that first movie. I kind of walked out and like, yeah, yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. But have you ever really looked into the pirate's life? It's, it's, it's a bit spurious. Like, I remember as a kid going on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and loving it. And, like, the song is playing. And you're just like, yo, have you ever actually paid attention to the lyrics? (laughs) Let me read you some of the lyrics. (laughs) Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. We pillage and plunder. We rifle and loot. Stand up, me hearties, yo-ho. We kidnap and ravage. And don't give a hoot. Stand up, me hearties, yo-ho. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. We extort and pilfer, we filch and sack. I had to look up what filching means. It's not a good thing. Stand up, me hearties, yo-ho. And, and like the song just kind of continues, and it talks about marauding and burning towns and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Maybe this isn't the life that I thought it was. But I mean, like Jack Sparrow sums it up really well when he gives the pirate's code. The pirate's code is this. Take what you can. And give nothing back. And it was so inspiring when he said it, because there's like thematic music, and you're like, yeah. And then you kind of like, I don't know if I want to live that life, actually. But then I think about my life sometimes, especially the way I drive on the freeway. I am a pirate on the freeway. You cut me off, it's on. <laughs> like, like... I learned to drive in the streets of L.A. I know how to give a broadside. Let's go. <laughs> or there's times, like just the other day, I was at the UPS store returning something. Amazon's going to go out of business because of me. Because I buy everything and just send it all back. <laughs> but I'm there in the line waiting, in my, and the lady's on the other thing. And she's like, oh, I, I forgot my wallet. And the lady's like, how much, how much is it going to cost? And the, the lady would help her and was like, oh, it's only $2. And in my mind, I'm like, sucks to be you. Because that's what a pirate does. Yeah, nice. Or there's times in, in, in my own journey and my own story where, like, I've just put myself first, even with my own family. Sorry, girls, daddy's tired. Daddy doesn't want to do that. No. Daddy's a pirate. You know what I mean? 
How many pirates do we have in the room today? Yeah, there's a few of us, huh? And as much as I want this life of adventure, I don't, I don't think this is the life I want because it's kind of a dead-end life. Like, you look at where it leads, it's not going to lead to good places. It's like, can we hope for something greater than this? Like, it's just going to end in shipwreck and, and messed upness, right? Like, we, we see the moral of this. Like, even in the, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, have you noticed how that ride ends? They're all in some drunken revelry in the burning down city shooting at each other. And then you go out of the ride, and then there's Jack Sparrow, and he wins. He's got all the treasure, but he's all alone, surrounded by vermin. It's like, is that really the life I want? And so it just makes me ask the question, is there something better that we could hope for? Because I want a life of adventure. I just don't know if this is the life I want. And so it's fascinating when you meet Jesus, and and Jesus shows up in the story, and he just says these simple words, follow me. Because those are words of invitation into what could possibly be the greatest life we could ever hope for. Because what Jesus said he came to do for us was this. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life to the full. I don't know how full your life is, but I always feel like there's room for more, yeah? And if Jesus can do that, then maybe he's worth looking into. And so I think maybe there's something there that we could begin to chase after him. Jesus, maybe you do have an invitation for us. Maybe what you offer us is the greatest adventure we could ever hope for. That when we begin to take seriously those words, follow you, we step into a whole new life and we actually begin to belong to you and walk with you. And then you invite us to be a part of something really big. You call it your church. And Jesus, you said your church would be so powerful, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And yet when I think about church, I don't always think about adventure. (laughs) Thank you. Your laughter reveals the sentiment, (laughs) right? Like, like honestly, sometimes when I think about church, I just think about a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. We just kind of like wound a little too tight. And it's just all about like doom and gloom and, and... Guilt and shame. Yeah, I mean, how many of you have that in your story? And, and is it possible that maybe when we think of church like that, we've actually missed what Jesus' heartbeat was when he understood what church was and he's calling us into it? That maybe what Jesus was all about was wanting to invite us to be a part of something with him. This person who came into the world to rescue and save and transform it and then says, now you're on my team. Let's get after it together. Maybe what Jesus had in mind was the greatest adventure of our lives and we've missed it because we've misunderstood what being church is all about. And so I'm super excited to chase after this for the next few weeks to see that maybe we, as we are this church reemerging out of covid Maybe there's an adventure we can begin to retake together in chasing after this life that Jesus has for us. Maybe this can become the greatest adventure we could ever hope for. And so if you're skeptical or cynical, welcome, welcome aboard, mate. <laughs> We're going to see what we can discover together. And so as we get started, I just want to start with something that I believe is maybe the greatest truth in the entire universe that we could ever hope to discover. And it's profound. It's life-changing. And here it is. You are loved. And see, when we begin to encounter Jesus, we begin to understand this reality. Because when Jesus shows up in the story, one of the things that he wants us to understand is that there is a God in heaven who is wildly, passionately for you. 
so much so that he did this. John 3, 16 through 17, we're told this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son Jesus into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That's a very common verse in our culture. Whether you're, you're Christian or not. Like if you've been to a start, sporting event, you've probably seen the sign, like John 3.16, and you're like, what player is that, right? Like, <laughs> but there are significant implications of this simple, simple, simple message that, that John tells us in his story of the life of Jesus. One of the implications of this is that, hey, God exists. There is a God who's at, at work in the world. And, and I mean, that's a whole other conversation we could have someday. Like, does it make more sense to believe God exists or God doesn't exist? And sometimes your circumstances determine how you answer that question. And if you ever want to have a deep philosophical conversation about that, I would love to engage in that because I've wrestled with that myself. But this just says it right here. Hey, God exists. But not only does God exist, because that could be a scary idea. <laughs> God loves us. God is at work in the story. He is for us. And another implication of this passage is we need help. Because if somebody has come to save you, to save me, maybe there's something I need saving from. <laughs> and so there's something incredible when we begin to understand this, that, that there's this love that we discover in Jesus, that he's come to reveal this to us, and that begins to change everything about our lives. That means that we are not cosmic accidents. We are people who are created with intention to know and be known. We are not abandoned in a universe that will end in a heat death. We have a God who is for us and actively at work in the story. He is with us. We are loved. That's the greatest truth I think we could ever hope to discover in the entire universe. And it's not just some lip service that God gives us. Like, you know what I mean? You, have you ever had that friend that, that they, they can say the words, but you know their actions don't back it up? Like, don't elbow them, but you know that person? Like, it's really easy to say, I love you. Like, I could have easily have done that, right? Like, hey, I love you. I've created this beautiful world for you to live in. Kind of like, like a parent dropping their kid off at the playground. Go have fun. And then the parent shows up, and the kid's gotten a scruff, and there's a big fight going on, and kid's getting bullied or picked on, and then the parent's like, no, it's cool. I love you. Good luck. Like, God could have done that. Walked into the mess we made and been like, well, good luck with all that. But he didn't. We're told that he actively worked in our story. This is what we're told. Paul captures this idea because God's love changed his story. And he writes this in Romans 5. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And I get it. We don't like that word. So if you don't like the word sinner, that's cool. Dysfunctional human being. That's me. How about you? Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright, pers upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Any takers? I mean, if somebody said, hey, there's this person that needs you to die for them so they could live. I've got questions about who they are. Are they worth it would be one of my questions, right? And yet, look at, but God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still dysfunctional human beings. Isn't that amazing? It's not like he said, okay, it's worth it now. He said, no, I love you. You're worth it as you are. Let me step into the story. 
because it's easy to say the words, but it's something altogether different to act in love on another person's behalf. Our oldest, maybe five or six years old, we're in that sweet spot of parenting toddlers where they actually take naps. And so we'd put her down for the, her nap, and we're just kind of hanging around having a quiet afternoon. And suddenly we hear her in deep panic screaming from her room, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And we're like, is she having a nightmare? So I go charging into her room to see what's going on, and I open the door, and this is what I discover. <laughs> Our sweet daughter was not napping. She was doing gymnastics on the bed. And somehow she slipped between the mattress and the bed frame. And was stuck in this scenario. And so me being a loving father, I walked in and said, no, it's okay. I love you. And I shut the door and let her. No, right? I mean, I stopped long enough to take the picture. Yes, I did that. Because <laughs> that's just gold, right? Like that's going to be in a wedding slideshow, I'm sure. <laughs> but because I loved her, I was like, what happened? Were you doing what you were supposed to be doing or what you shouldn't? Yeah, okay, let's get you out of the situation and fix this together. And I mean, my brokenness, it's not as cute as that, is it? Because I'm a pirate. And I've done some shady stuff. And the amazing thing is that God loves me. Just like he loves you. God demonstrates his love for us. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And see, God's love for us is demonstrated in what he has done for us in Jesus. Through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. There's some richness in there that if you've never really chased the story, get a hold of the stories of Jesus and read through that because you'll see that God has intention for your life through this person, Jesus. It's incredible. And what we begin to see is that Jesus is our invitation to step into this life of love that God has for every single one of us. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not to step into some weird religious dumbness. It's to follow him into this life that's going to be transformed because he loves us. It's an it's invitation to step out of the bankruptcy of our stories that are broken. And to step into a whole new life. To step into the greatest adventure we could ever hope to know. Which is to walk with him. To live as people who are loved. And it's an extraordinary thing when we begin to step into that reality, the reality that we're loved because we suddenly realize we don't need to live the pirate's life anymore. Because here's why I live the pirate's life. Because at one level, it's a fearsome life, and I think it makes me cool, even though it ultimately le- leads to shipwreck and ruin. But there's a deeper reason I live the pirate's life, because it's a fearful life. Like, I'm afraid that no one's looking out for me. I'm afraid that no one's going to take care of me. So I got to take what I can and give nothing back because I got to take care of me. But when you suddenly begin to realize, no, you're loved. You're loved by the God of heaven and earth. You suddenly realize, I don't have to operate out of a deficit. Because I'm living in the fulfillment of his love for me. So I can live sacrificially. Because how could I ever outgive what God wants to give me? It's a radically different way of living life. And when we realize that we're loved, we begin to live in the abundance of God's love for us. 
And that changes everything. It's a rich life. It's a full life, just like Jesus promised us. And here's the amazing thing. Not only is Jesus the invitation into that life, but as we begin to step into it with him, we begin to realize that we get to join him on this mission of being church with each other, with him. We begin to realize that not only is it our invitation into this great adventure, but we begin to realize that God's love is our motivation to chase after the life that Jesus is calling us into. Remember, I was with a group of leaders uh, several, several years ago, and we're kind of doing this retreat setting in someone's home, and one of the things that the, 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 the guy leading the group for all of us that were sitting there, he was, he was trying to help us understand what's our motivation for being leaders in the church. And it's an important question to chase after because like, you can be like the greatest person on the platform or you can be like the greatest leader in the world, but you could be doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right? Like, like there's times where I, I could be like leading because I just want you to affirm who I am. And I could be leading well, but if I'm doing it for that reason, it's not going to go well in the long run, Right? And so it's like, what's the motivation for doing it? And so the leader was just helping us process that, process that. And so then he kind of just had us take some space and do some reflection. And just the question just went deep into me. Have you ever had those moments where like something just kind of takes you into the catacombs of your soul? <laughs> and I'm in this like deep space of reflection. And it's just like, why do I do this? And the only thing that made sense to me is because I'm loved. Like when I wake up in the morning and, and, and I get out of bed, there's this truth about me that I know. I'm loved. When I have to make a difficult decision about a relationship in my life and, and it would be much easier to just kind of ignore it and let it fester. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after this with this other person because I'm loved and I know their love too and so it's worth it to pursue it. When I have to make sacrifices about where my family's going to live as Christy and I try to wrestle with the journey that God has for us. And like, why would we go to the heart of Canada and give up everyone we know? And then when God's like, cool, now it's time to come back. Why would we do it all over again? Because we're loved. And that love changes everything about the story we live. I love how Jesus wants us to understand this as he invites us to walk with him. Listen to what he says about this in John 15, John's account of his life. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. And Jesus knew he was loved by his dad. Like you read the stories of his life. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father speaks down, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. Jesus knew this whole life that his father loved him. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, now I love you just like dad loves me. You think the father's love for me is awesome. My love for you is awesome too. So he says, remain in my love. And then he says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. And I wrestle with that language because I'm just like, I don't know if I like those words. And yet what Jesus is talking about is not some kind of command and control obedience. It's about a relationship trust. Okay, I'm going to hear what you say and I'm going to trust you and walk with you in it because I know you're good and I know you're for me. And so Jesus goes on and he says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So this is my commandment, he says. 
Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And then what did Jesus do right after he said those words? He laid down his life for all of us to show us the greatest love we could ever hope to know. And then he invites us to begin to live in the same way as we walk with him and follow him. See, he's our invitation. And God's love for us is our motivation to walk in this life. And this simple premise can shape everything about who we are and how we choose to live. And it can also shape and impact who we are as a church, why we exist in this time and place. To be a people who are loved and share that love with others. Which is why our our mission as a church, our mission is this. It's to help others discover and experience new life in Jesus. And the way we go about doing that is by loving people the same way Jesus loves all of us. If we can just do that well, not only will we step into this great adventure, we will change the world around us. Because there's a world dying to know that God is for them and God loves them. And it's our great privilege to be a church that shares what we've experienced with others. And so there's a few things that we do, four actually, that we do as a church to try to chase after this together. And it has to do with the different things or strategies that we do as a church to live this out as well as we can. Because there's things that we believe that shape what we do. And so here's the first one. First and foremost, we believe that Jesus is for everyone. God loved the what? World. That seems pretty inclusive. (laughs) And Jesus is for everyone. And so that shapes how we do our Sunday mornings and when we gather together. Like there's power in gathering together in order to discover and declare the goodness of God expressed through Jesus as his spirit moves amongst us. And so when we do Sunday mornings, we don't do it because that's what we've always done. We do it because it's an opportunity to help others discover the same stuff we've found. Like sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm like the, the, the beggar that found a bunch of bread and I'm like, the good stuff's over here. Come on. And so we don't just go to church. We show up with expectation that God is going to move, not only in our stories, but in the stories of someone else. How many of your friends do you know that are just, they're hungering for something? And have you ever thought, hey, why don't you just come and see? Isn't that the most terrifying idea? Oh, I'm going to invite them to church. It's going to be scary. It's because you don't think of church as an adventure. But when church is the adventure, part of being freaked out and inviting someone is part of the adventure. Hey, you want to come to church with me? Are you weird? Yeah. But I think in a good way. Come and see. That's one of our strategies. Here's another one of our strategies as a church. We believe that life is better together. As an introvert, I'm challenged by this one. Because, like, remember the movie Castaway? Remember that with Tom Hanks? Like, we watched some classic movies over COVID with our girls. There's this cut scene. Castaway, he's stranded on the deserted island, and there's this cut scene that says five years later. Like, as an introvert, I'm like, that would be nice. Right? Like, all the extroverts are like, no! Like, like, but regardless, I don't care how, how introverted you are, we were created to do life together. And so we believe that Jesus calls us into a new family community called his church. 
so that we can do life with each other, acknowledging that we're always better together than going it alone. That's why we place such an emphasis on being church beyond the walls of the building. Being in community together, doing small group together, taking a course so you can walk with others and help each other grow. Because you will always go farther with another person in the journey, but you will help them go farther too. And so we put a lot of time and energy in doing that. And I get it, life's hard, life's busy, but guess what? If church is the adventure, then it becomes a priority and you choose to make it happen. Here's a, here's a third strategy. We believe that the next generation is now. And every generation has the responsibility of passing the baton of faith in order to share Jesus with the upcoming generation. That's why long before Christy and I got here, this church invested heavily in spaces in this room. That's why if you walk the kids' spaces, they look the way they do. Because as a church, we want to invest in the next generations. And that's why last Sunday, when I got a Sunday off and I didn't have to teach, I hung out with Liza, our interim kids director, and we created something fun for our youth. And we played dart wars in the hallway while you were all in here being spiritual because we were having fun with the youth, <laughs> letting them know you matter. Because that generation is the church now. And I told every single one of them, you have influence and you can shape who we are if you choose to be a part of it. And as we walk forward, we're going to continue to invest as a church in the next generation. Because think about it, there's a generation that was ahead of you that passed the baton. And there was a generation above them that passed the baton. And we get to pass the baton. And then our fourth strategy is that we believe that love is our greatest language. That in a world that's tearing itself apart right now, the cancel culture is fierce. We don't cancel people. Oh, I disagree with you, and yet I love you. What a beautiful thing that we could show the world. So we are the hands and feet of Jesus in our world, and our best life is lived in service to others as we share generously out of the overflow of God's love in our lives. Oh, friends, this is an adventure. That's why in June, we made a decision in January to go back to Mexico, even though we had no idea what was going to be happening with COVID. People are like, what's the plan? I'm like, I have no idea, but we're going to go. Because it's where people need to be loved. And anyone who's ready to go and not afraid, come on, giddy up. And so we took a, we took a team, and it was, a, it was so much fun. And we had a lot of our, our teens go with us on that trip. And it was so fun to see them realize church is bigger than just what we do in Petaluma. Yes! And we went to a church service with this pastor, Luis, and, and all this church does is has a, has a dream of a field. They literally pull out chairs and they sit in the middle of a field, and, and he just held up a boombox with some worship music. And I look at my daughter, who just starts weeping, and she's like, Dad, church doesn't have to be complicated. And I'm like, yeah, we're Americans, so we make it complicated. <laughs> but it doesn't. That's why we're a church that for years now, like 10 plus years, we've done the, the Thanksgiving challenge. That's why when Ron was telling me the stats this morning, like we've only announced it for one week and we're like a third of the way there, it doesn't surprise me because that's who we are, isn't it? 500 families? Let's blow that number out of the water this year, huh? That's why this month I'm really excited. We're restarting the nomadic shelter here on our campus so that we can support people that are just at the end and let them know you're loved and you matter. And that's just the beginning of what we're dreaming in this fourth strategy. Like Ron, 
Are you in the room, Ron? I'm going to talk about you, and this wasn't in my notes. Yeah, all right, there's Ron. You know what I love about Ron? Not only is he wise, a.k.a. old. <laughs> He's not done. Like, he'll start dreaming and scheming in the office, and I'm like, slow down, man, slow down. And Ron is dreaming and scheming on this fourth strategy for us as a church because this is going to be one of his legacy gifts to us as a church in the coming year so that we grow strong in this area. Because Ron, is church an adventure? Yeah, he nodded his head for those of you watching online. Oh, friends. See, being Jesus' church together in our world is the greatest adventure we could ever hope for. And when we understand that we are loved, and the people in this world are loved. It shapes what we do and how we walk forward because when you're loved, you realize you have a destiny and you have a purpose for the life you've been called to live. And you can begin to step beyond the things that seem so important right now, but they're not. Did COVID not teach us that certain things just don't seem to matter anymore? Let's learn the lesson and walk into a life that matters where there's purpose and meaning where we invest in the people around us as a church. We're called by Jesus as his church to help others see the greatness of God's love. That was the whole point when Jesus said, hey, you're a city on a hill. You can't hide the light. Shine the light so that people could see your Father in you and through you. And then as Jesus calls us into this life, I love that he says, and I will be with you to the very end. You are not doing it alone. I will walk with you and be with you. I will put my spirit in you. And if you will learn to listen to that voice, you will step into the greatest adventure of your life. And so I love that Jesus gave us a gift to know that we're not alone in the journey. I love that that last night when he was hanging out with his first followers and he knew he was going to the cross and they're having that last meal together, he gave them a gift, a ceremony of sorts. To step into so they know that he was always a part of the story. We call it communion. And what Jesus did in that last meal is he took some of the elements from the meal. They were celebrating like this ancient holiday. It goes all the way back to their Egyptian days. And Jesus is like, hey, that's all been pointing to me. And so watch, watch, watch now. And so he takes the bread from the table and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you because I love you. You don't have to walk in brokenness anymore. Let me take your brokenness upon you. Step into a new life. And then he took the wine and he said, this wine is is this new covenant, this new commitment that God is going to make. And it's my blood that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. So you are not defined by the mistakes. You're now defined by my love. Let me make you new. And then he said, as often as you eat and drink of this, you do this to remember me. And so communion is not some empty ritual we do. It's a relational moment we engage in where we say, Jesus, thank you. Like, I remember you in my story. I am loved by you, and that changes everything. And so I come to the table to step into the invitation of new life you have for me. And I come to the table to be reminded that this is now my motivation for how I live life. And so we're going to go into a time of communion right now. And so around our room, we've got four tables that have the little coffee cup 
communion things, because that's how we're still doing it. <laughs> but as we go into this time, I want to invite you to go to one of the tables and take the elements. And if you just want to find a quiet corner off to the side and commune with him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've given me life. Thank you that you saw me at my worst and you gave me your best. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're changing my story. Thank you that I'm not defined by yesterday's failure or tomorrow's failure. Thank you that I am found in you. Because it's at the tables that we find our invitation and our motivation. And so as we go into this time, some of you are already running for the tables. I love that. I love that. Let's come into this moment and find our life in him. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know where I stand with any of this, it's not going to hurt to ask Jesus to show up in your story. You really got nothing to lose. So maybe today you can go to the table and just say, hey, if you've got a life for me, Jesus, I'm listening. And see what he has for you. God, thank you that we are loved. Thank you that we don't have to be pirates anymore. Thank you that you've got life for us. So here in this place, in this moment, we want to come into your presence. And Jesus, we come to the tables, not with our, held, our heads held down, but with our heads held high, because we are loved by you. And that changes everything about our story. And so if there's anything holding us back today, would you set us free? would we know that our best life is found with you. That this is our invitation into the greatest adventure. And so friends, go to the tables and meet with him. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.